during, uh, during COVID, when we didn't have a live stream, Shayla had to pre-record, and we had to do all that editing and stuff, and it is, there's nothing worse than watching yourself. It's so uncomfortable. But, uh, but Ryan, thank you for sharing that ministry with us, and, and for those of you who come on Tuesdays or who have been part of that ministry, it's, it's such an encouragement uh, to see the people in our community come and, and know that we are here for them and to help them and, and to just get to know them is huge. Uh, the reason that you're going to see videos like this in the upcoming weeks is because this is our new series, Why Church? Exploring what the church is, why it exists, and how we are all called to be a part of it. We, uh, we want to dive into that, but before we answer the question of why church, this morning we're going to answer the question of what is church? But even before I kind of lay the ground there, I want to tell you why this series came up, why this uh, ended up coming into my head and mind and, and the conversations that Shayla and I had and then with some other pastors and then this conversation continued at our AGC conference a couple of weeks ago. Uh, basically what this is, is it's the study of ecclesiology. Oh, I'm sorry, kids. Every week. You can just sit here just for the next 50 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can follow Miss Deb up for Sunday school. My goodness, that was very patient of you. Actually, it was, I think it was more the adults that were whispering than the, the kids. Sorry. So we're looking at this word is called ecclesiology, the study of the church. Why does it matter? And I think, it, at least in my, in my life over the last number of years, as a pastor, church is vitally important in my life. Obviously for reasons that you can gather and understand. But my goal has always been to show that church is vital for every single person who calls himself a Christian. And as, um, as we've kind of evolved over the last few years and ministries have changed, uh, all of a sudden COVID hits and everything has to change. And all of a sudden we were figuring out uh, how, do we, how do we connect people over Zoom with small groups? How, how do we, as I just alluded to, how do we learn to record the service and, and put it up on YouTube where people could watch while they were stuck at home unable to get out? And then there was probably the worst of it all was getting the technology and trying to learn how to use it so that we could live stream and some of those things. And there were a lot of sleepless nights as, as uh, I tried to figure out stuff that my brain is not smart enough to. And we've gotten here to this point and we've made it through relatively well, but a reality hit me um, and I knew it but I wasn't really aware of it. And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but perhaps there's some times in your life where you're, you're sort of aware of something on one level, but all of a sudden that question gets asked or someone has a conversation with you and you realize the significance of that. Well, this happened when we were at conference and a few questions were asked uh, specifically of me uh, or, or to me, I should say. But then generally speaking, there were some other questions asked to a larger group as well. And it started to hit me that church has changed a lot more in the last two, two and a half years than we probably would care to admit. And our view of church, our understanding of church, our ecclesiology has changed along with it, probably without even realizing it. And so we're going to look at all kinds of, of questions, questions like, uh, what is church? That's today. Is it important? Spoiler alert. Yes, it is. We're going to talk about that. Why should I attend church? Um, when, uh, sorry, other questions like, 
will we keep live streaming? Will we keep doing online things? Will we still make it available for other people in other places? And, and all these types of questions, and all of them come, I think, from a good intent. However, I think what I have not done faithfully is have us through this process ask these questions of some of these things have to happen for a time and a season so that we could remain connected. But that was never the purpose. And we said this lots at the beginning when we first went online, but then it kind of faded. And I probably didn't say it nearly enough. Is We were so thankful we could meet online when we couldn't meet in person, but it was never meant to replace the gathering of the saints, worshiping Christ together, serving as a community. And so these videos that you just saw of Ryan and several others are going to come over the coming weeks are ways in which people are showing that they are passionate and excited that we get to reach out into our community with the best news possible. And that's the message of Jesus Christ. And so as we talk about why, why should we do this? Why church? Why, why membership? Why baptism? Why communion? Why discipleship? We're going to ask all kinds of these questions. And the reason we're going to ask them is so that we create a healthy and biblical ecclesiology, an understanding of the church that is very, very real to Scripture and very necessary for us as believers as we move forward. So, if you ask this question, what is the church to a random person on the street? Well, you aren't really sure what you'll get. You may get a lot of varying answers, but generally speaking, you'll get something like this. Church is a place where people go on Sundays. Hopefully it's followed with. To worship whom? To worship God, to worship Jesus. Now, while that answer is partly true, it's broader than that, and there's two things that I want us to consider there. First of all, and we're going to dive through Scripture like crazy in a few places, but you can open to Matthew 7 already while, while we talk. We're going to get there in a few minutes. But first of all, there's two ways the New Testament refers to this word church. One is a global view. So that's church with like a capital C. And that represents whom? Somebody. Anybody. Who does that represent? All Christians. Yes, somebody said it. The church, generally speaking, consists of every person who has submitted their knee in lordship or of lordship of Jesus Christ, then we're all part of the church, every single person. And so that's the way that the New Testament talks about church sometimes, but there are other times where it talks about it in a more localized context. And in Romans 16, 5, there's a greeting from Paul, and it says this, greet also the church in their house. So Paul's now talking about a local context, a group of people who meet together to glorify God and to proclaim Jesus. The expectation of the New Testament writers, as we're going to see over the number of weeks, specifically Paul and the Apostle John, is this, that if you're a part of the church, then you will be part of a local expression of that church. Paul refers to, the, refers to it in Corinthians, we're going to look there in a few weeks, but as the body. This, this image, this analogy given to us of that there's so many parts that make up the body and every part is vital and necessary for the health and the growth of that body. And so if we claim to be part of the church globally, but we're not interested in being part of the church locally, then we misunderstand, first of all, what the church is, but probably second of all, as I'm going to argue in a minute, 
is probably we don't understand what Jesus is all about. Now, when I talk about the church over these coming weeks, mostly I'm going to be talking about the local expression of the church. So for our purposes this morning, I'm going to refer to church, I mean Banff Park Church. Or if you're visiting this morning, I mean the church that you attend wherever you live. And so kind of put that in your framework, in your mind. So, I don't think anything that I've said yet is surprising or controversial or something that we're going to have a fight about. But here's where it gets tricky, especially in our modern times, especially with the last couple of years as church has shifted and morphed and our ideology about church has probably changed without, it, without us really realizing just how influential it's been on us. Here's some of the questions. What exactly constitutes the local church? How many, how many people make up that church? If church is a, a group of Christians gathered together, then can church happen anywhere? or maybe to speak Ernie's language, if five of us are going golfing together, and in between holes while we're waiting for the next tee box, we talk about God, does that constitute church? Again, a spoiler alert. No, it doesn't. We'll talk about that later. Most importantly, should we as Christians have a desire to come and to serve and to be part of the body regularly? That's very rhetorical. Hopefully it's also very obvious. But what we're going to aim to do here is not to just tell you why I think church is important and why you should come, but why God thinks the church is important and what Scripture teaches us about it. So these are the questions we're going to answer in the coming weeks, but let me just define church in a really, really good, uh, easy-to-understand definition from Mark Dever. We have a, we have a slide for this that is going to be put up here. Don't read it yet because I'm not ready. Uh, Mark Dever is a theologian and a pastor in, in Washington, D.C., actually, which is kind of interesting. Um, he's also the co-founder of Nine Marks. Nine Marks is a ministry dedicated to equipping church leaders with a biblical vision and practical resources for building healthy churches. So Mark Dever, at least in our current time right now, is kind of the who's who of ecclesiology. He studies it, he goes to conferences to teach about it all over the world, and there's a number of his books on my bookshelf dealing with things like church membership, baptism, some of these things that he argues are essential for our understanding of, of what church is. Here's what he says. A local church is a body of people that are marked out by the fruit of God's spirit as holy and loving. So by direct command or implications or principles, God's word tells us everything we need to know about every aspect of following him in life. From dating to marriage, from working to grieving, from evangelizing to eating. How shall we live? What does it say? You're going to hear that a lot over the next couple of weeks. The answer is in the Bible. Now, there's a lot of specifics that the Bible doesn't address. I don't recall seeing COVID in the Bible. If you saw it, throw that translation out and get a new one. Right? It isn't talked about. But there are many principles of how we're going to deal with situations that come to us that we should determine based on what does Scripture say. And if we find some kind of an area where we can all come to agreement on, we don't think Scripture actually says anything specifically about this, then we're going to use the best wisdom that we know how to use. But my argument is going to be that nearly everything is going to be found in the pages of Scripture, and that is how we're going to define it. So I love that definition because of that last sentence, but I also love it because it points out something that we often forget. 
So I want to read that first sentence again. Um, A local church is a body of people that are marked out by what? The fruit of God's Spirit as holy and loving. What does that mean? That means that if you're part of the church, then you are one who is marked out by God and that you are actively pursuing a deeper relationship with Him. And the fruit that's coming out of your life is one that honors God. Now, don't misunderstand me to say anything like you have to be perfect to be part of the church. Not one of us are, not one of us will be. Let's just get that out of the way. But we do, we want to talk about this reality that ultimately, if we're not bearing fruit in our life, then are we part of the church? According to what Scripture is going to teach us over the next few weeks, it says some pretty harsh things about that. And so the reason that I'm being so direct and serious is because I think the Bible is being direct and serious, and it is important for us to gather. Maybe a helpful uh, quote is from Matt Chandler. He says it this way, Jesus is not your Savior if Jesus is not your Lord. Let me say that again. Jesus is not your Savior if Jesus is not your Lord. If everything else in life does not come second to Christ, then how can you call him your Savior? By very definition, a local church is a group of people pursuing Jesus together. How do we do that? We read the Bible. We study the Bible and we find out what does God want us to do. Jesus explains it in Matthew 7, this way in verses 15 to 20. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. That sounds pretty direct, doesn't it? Jesus is speaking to a group of people. This is kind of the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And there's some really important things in here. But really what Jesus is trying to get after is the motivation and the heart intent of do we want to follow God or do we want to do it our own way? Do we understand what salvation means, or do I think that if I do things good enough that somehow God will, will give me some kind of a pass and say, oh, Greg, you did a lot of good things, so, so you're saved. Well, Jesus is saying here very clearly, and he's warning us about false teachers, but I think the implication is just as true on the other side. I think he says that as much as a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. He's simply saying this, is you as a Christian, how should you look? Like a healthy tree. Now, for illustrative purposes, if you were to walk out into the parking lot today, and you were to walk to the back, we had to, a couple of years ago, cut down some trees that were in risk of falling on the church. And so we cut them down, and we live in parks, in a national park. So what does that mean? Got to plant new ones, right? So we planted some new ones. Most of them look great. Most of them. There's a couple back there that if you go look at are doing what? They're just occupying space. And I might argue, if the tree is living and has purpose, great. If it's just dead, what's it there for? What purpose does it have? 
How we live is an indication of what we believe. And so how should we live? Well, once again, the answer is where? In the Bible. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 22, just a few pages forward. Verse 34 to 40, and this is probably a very familiar section to many of you, but I think it sets the table nicely for this, this whole series as we move forward. It says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, so they had come to try to trick Jesus, and Jesus had quieted them, they gathered together the Pharisees, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So practically speaking, what does it mean to represent Christ? That you love God with everything that you have and that you love people. Right? We boil it down lots that way when we say love God and love people. We use that terminology in our house lots um, in a way that is really helpful for us because it refocuses us and reminds us that no matter what is happening in your life, no matter what career change might be happening, no matter the crisis that's going on, the death that has happened and so there's grieving, the whatever is going on is what is your purpose? It hasn't changed. Love God and love people. No matter what. And so it's that anchor for us. This is what Jesus is telling us. This is what to do. In John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus explains it this way. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So literally, Jesus is saying, people, people in the world will know you are a follower of Jesus. How? By the way that you love. Specifically your Christian brothers and sisters. And so if we can't be united together in purpose and in mission as a church, then how does that honor Christ? And how will others say, man, I I need that? We are called to live a life that loves. Or if you flip to Galatians, Chapter 6, I know I'm making you flip all over the place, but Paul says it really beautifully here as well. In chapter 6, starting at verse 1, he says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And here it is, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So again, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you're a Christian, that means if you're part of the church, that means you are called, you are commanded rather to bear one another's burdens to care for your brother or sister who is hurting, 
to restore them if you see them in, in, a, in a wayward area of their life, if they're caught in any kind of transgression. Now, you're supposed to do it gently, and you're supposed to do it keeping a watch on yourself so that you don't get sucked in, but the whole point is community the way that we see the Father and the Son and the Spirit have in the Trinity. That's the model for us as Christians, that we are to love one another and care for one another so practically. The problem is this, it gets real messy, doesn't it? First John 4, 7, and 8, John writes this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then he concludes that section in verse five, or chapter 5, verse 3, by saying this, For this is the love of God, that we what? What does it say? That's pretty clear, isn't it? This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, I need to clarify some stuff here, so just bear with me for a few minutes here. This command that Jesus has given, this command that Paul has given, this command that John has given, all point back to this. This command is different in a sense from the Old Testament commands that we read, the, specifically the 10, but there's over 600 other ones, but you don't have to get past Exodus 20 to realize that we can't do it. It's kind of the point. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Those commands were given to us or given to the Jewish nation, I should say, as a way to mark them out and to show them, to show the nations who God is, what God is like, and how God wants all to come to salvation. And so those commands were pointing to, it wasn't as though God was going, here, I'm going to give you a list of stuff that you can't possibly do so that no one can come to heaven to be with me. Like, that's how we read it sometimes. That's not what God's doing. What God's doing is he's giving them to us to show us the standard of his holy perfection and righteousness and and basically saying, if you want to earn your own way into heaven, here's how you'd have to do it. But you can't. And God knew that. This wasn't some kind of surprise. And so ultimately, all of this points forward to the day when Jesus Christ would come and he would live that perfect life of obedience to the Father that he would take our place on the cross, he would pay the penalty for our sin, and because of his sacrifice, we no longer stand condemned, but now we can be declared as righteous because of the finished work of Christ. It's the best news there ever could be of anything. Why is it this way? Well, Paul says it in Ephesians, it's, this, it's for this reason, not of, your salvation is not of works so that no one can boast. So in other words, it's not about you, it's about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But he clarifies in the very next verse, this is Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Anybody remember? Is it up there? What are you created for? Good works. You were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So friends, let me be very clear here. You cannot earn your salvation. It's bought, your salvation is bought and play, paid for only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we submit to Jesus and make him Lord, he then becomes our savior. 
And then once we are saved, we are then given the Holy Spirit. This is John 16, 8. I'm not going to read it, but we're given the Holy Spirit so that he will convict us of righteousness. In other words, this, you're given the Holy Spirit so that you know how to live and what to do, and actually that God will supernaturally equip you to do it. So it's saying it this way, is all those old commands that you couldn't live up to, those things that you couldn't do, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that empowers you to live in a way that honors God and that honors your fellow brothers and sisters, mankind. So when somebody hates you, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you can love them back even though the world says you should hate them back. If you look back to the Ten Commandments, you're given the Holy Spirit, so now you, you understand you, you won't steal things because you want to honor other people. You won't lie to anyone because God is a God of truth. You won't covet other people's possessions because you know that all you need is given you in Christ. You will honor your parents because ultimately that honors God. And so on. None of these things, we're not to look at these things and go, if I can obey these saved. No, you're only saved through the blood of Jesus. But when you are saved, you're given the Holy Spirit so that you can do good works which God has prepared in advance for you. It's very plain. We just like to mix it up. We like to make it more complicated than it should be. This is what it means to live as a Christian. So so by extension, this is what the church is meant to be. What is a church? A group of Let me insert a comment here. Very imperfect people, all of us, committed to following Jesus together and becoming more like Jesus. Or you could say it this way. As we do that, we will care less about the things of the earth and more about the things of God. And so if the things of the earth are so enticing to us that we can't help but and we need it, then perhaps we haven't made Christ our Lord. Perhaps we only understand intellectually what the gospel is all about. If you, don't, if you look at it and you say, if only I had more money, or if only I had more possessions, or if only I had more popularity, whatever it might be, and you say, if, if I had that, then I would have everything I need, then you, by definition, friends, do not understand Jesus Christ. Because everything you need is in him and is in him alone. I know it's really easy for me to say this and get a little bit fired up about this. But this is, the, this is the words of Scripture to us. And I think in our prosperity gospel age, it's become really easy to get very complacent and very easy to have our allegiances shift focus and all of a sudden get focused more on earthly things and less on godly things. It's very easy for all of us to do that. And so I, I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking that if you struggle in any way that somehow that means you're not a Christian. I struggle in probably every way. Just, just as probably you do. But the point is this, is do we submit to Christ and go, God, that thing that I want, that I, that I am acting as though I can't live without, would you help that to become less and would you help your grace and your love and your mercy to show me more because that's all I truly need? What we know intellectually, we have to remind ourselves of practically so that we would live for him. This is why, I'm jumping ahead now, sorry, but this is why we need the church. Why the church? Because I can't do it on my own. Why the church? Because I get distracted way too easily. Why the church? Because I need others to hold me accountable 
And when I'm caught in sin, that they would restore me gently. And then they would remind me of where my allegiances are supposed to lie. And how can you do that if you're not in a church? How can you do that if you're not submitting to one another in reverence? See, this is a really, really big problem in today's world. And what has happened due to the last two and a half years is if you don't like something, if you're watching a service and you don't like it, what do you do? You just press power. Turn it off or you hit mute. Or you Google a different teacher that maybe you like more. Church has inadvertently, and I'm pointing just as much to me as you, so don't take this as though I'm coming across against you, is we as people have become more consumeristic in this age than ever before. If you need proof of that, all you got to do is watch a kid grab an iPad. We're so consumeristic. Everything exists for me. And so what we're going to argue for the rest of these weeks moving forward is that church, a a part of church is coming and listening and, and being taught and being fed. But if that's where church ends for you, then you don't understand church. It's far bigger than that. Or as, or as Mark Dever would say, is church is certainly uh, more than coming on Sunday, but it is not less than coming. And that's where we're headed. That's what we're trying to know. Now, this is not some plea for more attendance next week, right? That's not the goal. God's at work in the hearts of each one of us uniquely. But we're called to study this book and we're called to let it change and transform our lives. Or as Paul says, we become a new creation so that we focus on what truly matters. And I think we, in these last couple of years, we as people have become a little more consumeristic than we'd like to admit. And so we need the Bible to speak truth to us. We need brothers and sisters to call us out when we're not living the way that we have said we want to live. And if we won't have people hold us accountable or if we won't let them hold us accountable and we just go, I don't want to be part of that group. They call me out on my sin. I'm going to go to this other group. If that other group doesn't call you out on their sin, then by definition, they're not being what the church is meant to be. Now again, in graciousness and in mercy, right? In love. But we are a people that are marked out to become more like Christ. And so let me end with this. Do you want to become more like Christ? And are you practically doing something so that every day your affections for Jesus grow and your desire for his word increases? That's what it is to be a Christian. To see that when you open scripture and when you read about God, that you go, I desperately need this God in every way of my life. As Mark Dever said, from from dating to marriage, from work to fill in the blank with whatever you want. Because that's what God's for. So I'm going to read this quote by Matt Chandler again, not as any kind of condemnation on you, but as, as a quote where we really look in the mirror and we ask ourselves this question, even though we might not want to ask these questions, but I think we won't grow if we don't ask them. Chandler said, Jesus is not your Savior if he is not your Lord. So by extension, I just want to leave that with you today. Is is Jesus Christ your Lord? Let's pray. God, as we bounce around Scripture today and as, as we kind of set the table to look ahead to why we do church, 
why we think membership is important, why we think baptism is important, why we think communion is important. May, this, may these things not just be things that we do because they're tradition, but may these be things that we do because we find them in your word and we find that you have commanded us to live in this way. But God, as we've also discussed this morning here, you have also equipped us uniquely with the Holy Spirit that we can actually do the things that you have called us to do. Not because of us, not in our own efforts so that we might boast about them, but because you have equipped us and that we can step out in faith and we can live the way that you have called us to live. God, we want this church, Banff Park Church, to be a lighthouse for our community. And by that, I don't mean that it's a building that sits here and warns people, but that we as individuals go out and share with the world the greatest news that exists, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so next week, as we look how to practically do that, God, would you impress upon our hearts a desire to follow after you? And God, as we consider in our own hearts and our own minds, Have we made you Lord? Are you what is most important? I pray that we would answer that honestly. Jesus was never meant to be an important thing on a list of other important things. He was meant to be a whole different category for us. And so God, as we walk out of these doors today, as we go to work off on our holiday, to be with our friends or our peers. Would the light of Jesus Christ shine in us and would you develop a hunger in us that we might be people that love you and love others? God, thank you that you have equipped us through the Holy Spirit to do that in a supernatural way. So do that now in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives as we step out this building. God, we love you. We thank you. Amen.